Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you as always. Thank you so much for tuning in here on this Tuesday late morning afternoon. We are flying through the season, stumbling through the final couple weeks. Just just trying to get over the hump here, Brendan. Just not much left. No, not much left. Stumbling is is probably the best way to put it. As you can tell by my voice, yeah. we, are, we are stumbling through it. Yeah. Uh, you played through the, the voice issue yesterday while playing the intramural flag football. Game, I did. Which I did not sign up for. And flag football, which I feel was, good about my decision to not sign up for that league and to stick with softball. Yeah. was much more intense than I was anticipating, this flag football league. One of the other teams showed up with individual wristbands with like pre-made plays. This is a intramural flag football league, I want to remind everyone. And they, they had play sheets. Like like a quarterback yes. play sheet? Wow. Every That's, single person on the team. How? What were your stats like from that game? I believe I had three targets, no catches. No catches. And, and look, some solid defense was being played. That's, you know what? It happens. That's okay. We'll get them next time. Yeah. Uh, I can think of Ravens first-round picks that had, you know, worse stat lines. From a couple of years ago. This is true. Um, all right. We're going to be talking about the Bowie Bay Sox in just a little bit, who punched their ticket not only to the postseason, but they go directly to the AA Northeast Championship uh, Series because there is no semifinals. They go directly to the championship series. They're now three wins away from bringing home their first title since 2015, I believe. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that. These We're going to be going to Bowie later today for game one of that series, and these these Mass and Polos, they're going to be getting getting a lot of use today. We're taking them on the road tonight. Uh, but first, Brendan, well, first off, before we get into our main topic, how about John Means yesterday? Unbelievable. Six and two-thirds shutout innings, shutting out the Phillies. Orioles are putting a dent in a lot of teams' playoff chances. The yeah. Yankees, not the Rays. Not definitely <laughs> not the Rays. But the Phillies, they're not the Red Sox, but they could in the final week of the season when they play the Red Sox. And for John Means, nice way to finish off the season here. Yeah, and if there's one fun thing about not being in playoff contention at the end of the year, it's that at the very least you can be a spoiler for teams that are going yeah. to be making it. I feel like we say it every year with the Orioles that they can play spoiler for some of these AL East teams, but there's only a game or two that's really separating the AL East. I mean, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Red Sox are all within, I think, a game and a half at this point, so the Orioles have a lot of opportunities to make some waves and really make a difference in what that playoff picture might look yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, the the uh, spoiler games, I think, are much more fun when they're in your division. Absolutely. I think the, yeah. uh, you know, it's less about uh, the, the spoiling the Phillies' chances aren't quite as fun as spoiling the Yankees' or Red Sox' chances. Right. But, yeah, the, the, that AL East playoff picture and that AL playoff picture, we're going to get Maybe three American League East teams in the playoffs. Um, probably three. Probably three. So the Orioles are going to play a significant factor in that. And, and look, a couple years, 
other teams will be trying to spoil the Orioles' chances. Um, so we'll we'll uh, get into Bowie later on in the show. But first, Brendan, let's talk about Brandon Hyde. This is the subject of today's podcast because we are a week and a half away from the conclusion of Brandon Hyde's third season in Baltimore. And the questions, of course, arise after any season and after any season where you have a team lose 100 games is should the manager be retained? Now, Brandon Hyde, the Orioles have not discussed Brandon Hyde's contract in the time that he has been in Baltimore. They have never divulged the terms of his deal. It's widely speculated that Brandon Hyde has a three-year deal with the team with a fourth-year option. However, they won't confirm or deny that. So we are left to assume, for the sake of this podcast, that those are the terms of the deal. And the question becomes whether the Orioles will pick up that fourth-year option and retain him. Yeah, and and regardless of what the contract situation looks like, I think after three years of losing baseball on the field, it is fair to look at the manager and ask some questions about what is going on there. The thing to keep in mind with Brandon Hyde, and we'll get into this more as we talk about the potential future of Hyde, is that while it is management's goal at this point, Mike Elias has made it perfectly clear that they are in a rebuild. The goal is to get good prospects, to develop the farm system, to keep that part of the team moving forward, and the results at the major league level don't matter as much as the overarching goal of the rebuild. However, even though it's management's goal to rebuild the team, to keep acquiring those prospects, it is still the goal of the players at the major league level and Brandon Hyde to win baseball games, and that has not been happening. Yeah, and we'll we'll go ahead and, and start this podcast off by saying we're probably... Maybe in the minority here, I'm not sure exactly. Um, it's tough to tell exactly where the fan base sides because you look at Facebook, you see one thing. You look at Twitter, you see another. You look at YouTube, you see another in terms of comments. And I think fans are mostly split. We are going to lay out the case for keeping Brandon Hyde after this season. Now, we're not going to say he's infallible. We're not going to say he hasn't made his mistakes. And we're going to touch on the areas of improvement that we think he should make in his fourth season. And we're going to touch on how long this can last, what kind of improvement we need to see next year in order to keep him beyond 2022. But essentially, our case for Brandon Hyde is going to not mostly rely on what he's accomplished so far in Baltimore, but mostly what he's had to deal with. Uh, But before we get into that real quickly, I just want to play a clip of Mike Elias talking about Brandon Hyde's contractual situation because, as I mentioned, the Orioles won't divulge any specifics of the contract. But back on June 17th, he talked a little bit about how he evaluates Brandon Hyde through the first two-plus seasons of Hyde's tenure in Baltimore. I'm not going to be the one to uh, spill anyone's contractual status in baseball ops. I mean... It'll get out uh, on on a number of employees, and when it gets out, you know, maybe I'll comment or no comment about that. But I, I don't see any benefit to me uh, revealing the contractual status of the employees in baseball ops. I will say that uh, I hired Brandon. Um, we handpicked him for this job because of his skills, because of uh, the relationship that we felt because of his references, because of his broad perspective across baseball operations. 
from the dugout all the way to the Gulf Coast League and everything in between. And he is a partner with us in this multi-year project. We all knew this would be a multi-year project. We knew there were going to be uh, some rough years. He is not being judged on the uh, uh, where we are in the standings in 2021. Uh, he's got a lot of interaction. He and the staff have a lot of interaction with a lot of corners of our baseball operations department as we build out this entire organization. Um, and all of that, I, I couldn't be happier with. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to getting back to the playoffs and, uh, you know, hopefully all of us are, are starting together for that. So you read between the lines there and Mike Elias seems to be satisfied that that was a couple months ago with the job that Brandon Hyde has done so far. And Brendan, you mentioned it is Brandon Hyde's job on the field to win games. He considers it his job. He's going out there trying to win every game possible while also knowing that he has to balance development and player development along with that. But when I said that it's less about what Hyde has accomplished so far and more of what he's had to deal with, it's tough to look at his first three seasons and point to very many accomplishments at this point. And we'll discuss why exactly, but through these first two-plus years, and he had the shortened season, obviously, last year, he's got a 127-245 and 245 record. That's a 341 win percentage. He's had two 100-loss seasons in 2019 and 2021. And the stuff that he has accomplished, you could say, is mostly keeping players motivated, making sure that players are believe in the coaching staff. That's a lot of intangible stuff. It's not a lot of stuff that you can put specific numbers to. And even when you talk about, you know, bouncing back from a losing streak, teams can accidentally do that whether or not the the manager is involved. So it, it's it's difficult to determine exactly how much of an effect he's had on the clubhouse. We've gotten good reviews from the players course we're not going to get players that come out and, and trash a manager but a lot of the the, the case for Hyde's successes in Baltimore it, it's difficult to point to any specific numbers here right and you can't really fairly evaluate Brandon Hyde until you actually give him a roster with right a lot of major league caliber players I mean over the last three years yes the Orioles have had losing seasons but it's not like 2018 with Buck Showalter. In 2018, the Orioles were trying to win games. They had good veteran players like Adam Jones, Zach Britton, Kevin Gossman, Dylan Bundy, and they also had 96 games of Manny Machado before he was traded, 85 games of Jonathan Scope before he was traded, and they still went 47 and 115. That's not good for a team that was trying to win games in 2018. But for the last three years, the Orioles have not been trying to win games. Right. The goal has been to rebuild. So it's almost impossible to fairly evaluate Brandon Hyde unless you give him a team that has a lot of major league caliber players. He has not had talented players throughout the roster. It's tough to say about a manager who has been with the team for three years that he hasn't had enough time. But that's our best argument for keeping Brandon Hyde because the roster, that roster in 2018 that you just mentioned, is miles better and more experienced than the average roster that Brandon Hyde has had in his time in Baltimore. This stat ran on Ozextra 
uh, on September 18th, and it's mostly still true. You know, that was a few days ago. 579 combined games have been played by Orioles rookies this year. That's the third most in Orioles history. It's second in baseball to only Texas. It is such a young roster in terms of the everyday players that you're throwing out there. You don't have anybody who has pretty much an established major league above average player. The closest you could get there now is Trey Mancini and one year of above average play from Cedric Mullins and one year of above average play from Ryan Mountcastle and maybe John Means. Other than that, this roster is young, it's inexperienced, and frankly, it is lacking in talent and has been for three seasons. Right, because where the Orioles are right now, essentially the roster is a mix of rookies, of young players that you are trying to get playing time, and some older guys that you have had in the system for a while that you are trying to play and figure out if there is anything there. Guys like Ramona Rios, who turned out to be pretty good, and like Richie Martin fall under that category of guys that you just need to play to see if there is any promise of a future with sticking with the Orioles there. There are not a lot of guys on this team outside of, like you said, probably just Trey Mancini that are older quality veteran players. He's probably the only one on the roster. Maybe Means, because now Means has three seasons of MLB play under his belt. Sure, but even then, Means is still a younger starting pitcher. Yeah. So you really don't have any of those older veteran players that you need to build a solid team. And it's not just the youth of the team, because you also have a lot of rookies who are older. Of the 16 guys who have debuted, who have made their major league debuts for the Orioles this year, six have been 28 years or older. We're talking about guys like Mickey Janis of Manny Barreda of Dustin Knight. Guys that, Spencer Watkins, guys that are, the reason that they're older and they're making their debuts in Baltimore, no disrespect to these guys, they haven't earned an opportunity to do that with other contending teams until now. So they may be older, they may be 30 years old, but they are not, they might not get this opportunity with literally any other team, which speaks to, how they are they don't have the talent you know they they are not talented enough to debut so they haven't been shown through the first eight years of their career that they've been talented enough to debut before that so it's not just that they're young it's that Mickey Janice is not a major league player it's that Manny Barreda may not be a major league player Dustin Knight is probably not a major league player so they have Connor Green starting against the Phillies tonight Other than that one appearance or two appearances with the Dodgers, he's not really a major league player. So it's just that they don't have MLB caliber players. They don't have enough MLB caliber players. And they will get there. That's the point of the rebuild. The younger top prospects who you are trading for and developing will hopefully become that depth that you can actually call up and have multiple guys to go to in your bullpen. And you can have quality bench pieces to supplement guys in the lineup. Hopefully those prospects will turn into the quality major league players that you don't have right now. But even looking back at the 2019 season when the Orioles, again, were not good, did not have a good record. Their consistent starters in the lineup included Chris Davis, Richie Martin, Dwight Smith Jr., Rio Ruiz, and Stevie Wilkerson. 
None of those are major league caliber players at this point. Yeah. Their third most frequent starting pitcher was David Hess. Right. And they had two pitchers on the roster with an ERA below four and a half. Yeah. What are you going to do with that? And, and a good litmus test of, of just whether these guys are legitimate MLB players or not is if they glob on and stick with another team. And, you know, David Hess has stuck on some major league rosters, but he hasn't been good and he hasn't been on very many good major league rosters. You know, Chris Davis obviously had very little left in the tank by 2019. So when you, the, the test is when you let go of these guys, are they able to play well with other teams? Dwight Smith Jr. is now out of uh, American professional baseball. I think he's in the Mexican league at this point. So it, it, again, no disrespect to these guys, but they are just the bottom half of this roster is incredibly thin, incredibly. And that's why we've seen a million transactions over the course of the season, bringing guys up, DFAing guys, uh, you know, sending them back down, uh, claiming guys off waivers. The Orioles are 29th in baseball this season in payroll. And a large part of that is due to Chris Davis's contract. So they would probably be last in terms of payroll. That just goes to show, and again, we're not, that that's what you do in a rebuild. That's the decision that you have to make because you know that you're not going to going to win games in the short term. But you hand a, a manager, tw- any other manager in baseball, twenty the 29th highest payroll, they're not going to do much unless they're the Tampa Bay Rays uh, and unless they're Kevin Cash, they're not going to be able to turn that into a winning roster or even a roster that that loses fewer than 100 games. No other manager could really do that. And even the Tampa Bay Rays are winning on the margins. They have players that aren't making a ton of money that are still playing well. They're older veterans. They have a bunch of Trey Mancini type of players on that team to go along with, you know, the top prospect in all of baseball and a bunch of other really good prospects. So the Rays, we know they are a bit of an anomaly, but even they are spending money smartly and wisely on players that are quality veterans that they can get good production out of. And if the Orioles do that over the next few years, they'd be in a much better spot. But the fact of the matter is, right now they're not. Yeah, uh, the, the, to go back to the point about how many MLB caliber players on there, you look at that payroll that's 29th in baseball, other than Chris Davis, the guy who has the highest contract, who's making the most in 2021, is Trey Mancini, $4.75 million. Almost any other team, your highest paid player is going to be making a whole lot more than that. Way more than that. So and, and there are only four guys on this entire roster, again, other than Chris Davis because he is now retired, so that you know money's not going to a player on the roster. Four guys on the roster making a million dollars or more, and that includes Matt Harvey. So that's not a whole lot. You're just no. not handing a manager enough to work with. And again, it makes sense, but it's so difficult to evaluate Brandon Hyde from that perspective. And then you look at an in-game strategic standpoint, and perhaps the biggest you know, test for a manager is how they manage the bullpen. That's at least the most visible things for fans to see because it's in-game decision-making strategy, that kind of thing. What has Brandon Hyde had in his bullpen? He's gone. A guy comes out and pitches okay, like you know Eric Hanhold did in his first appearance, got two outs, and Brandon said, "You're now a high leverage reliever." That's what he's had to do because there are there's just not enough talent 
in that bullpen. So when he makes bullpen decisions like that, it's he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He he doesn't have enough options, and to get through nine innings every day for 162 games, you're going to need so many different relievers. And the most reliable relievers he's had this year, Paul Fry, who's in AAA Norfolk, Tanner Scott, who's in the middle of a, a scuffle of his own. So he just has not had enough in that bullpen to be able to make good decisions. And it's so difficult for us from the outside to say that's a bad decision because who else is he going to go to? If he throws Fernando Abad out there and he gives up three runs, who else would you have him pitch? You know, it's not like this team has Zach Britton, Darren O'Day and Brad Brock sitting out in the bullpen. Yeah. We got a comment on Facebook saying Hyde doesn't know how to manage a, a pitching staff the simple question that I would respond to that with is what else would you like him to do? Right. There is one pitcher on the starting rotation making more than a million dollars, and it's Matt Harvey. Three pitchers have started at least 20 games for the Orioles this season. They are John Means, Matt Harvey, and Jorge Lopez. Out of those three, Means is the only one with an ERA under six. Six! Of pitchers that have started at least 10 games, only two of them have an ERA under six, and it's Means and Bruce Zimmerman, who has not pitched a majority of the year. John Means is your only starting pitcher that you can rely on every five days. And John Means even has had a bit of a scuffle here or there, but all in all, he has been good. One starting pitcher is not enough. Yeah. Means just tied Harvey for wins this so far this season. Remember, Matt Harvey was signed to a deal this offseason that he made a hundred mil or he made a million dollars. Not yeah, hundred million. A million dollars if he made the roster. So he's not getting that opportunity with any other team. There's a reason the Orioles were able to sign him. That's what you can say about a lot of these guys with Michael Franco and Freddie Galvis. There's a reason the Orioles were able to sign these guys to cheap contracts because the interest around the league was not very high, which tells you how much talent, and sometimes the league is wrong about guys. It happens. But the league pretty much tells you your value. You know, when you hit free agency, the league lets you know what they think of you. And the free agents that the Orioles have been able to sign have been because the league has made a statement on them and said, we don't value him enough to consider him a factor in a contending team. Right. So there's Hyde's options with the starting pitching. Right. It it is one option, and it is John Means, and you hope that you win every five days when John Means starts because every other starter is essentially a toss-up. So there's the starting rotation. You want to talk about the bullpen? There's two guys that you can argue have had good seasons. One of them is Cole Sulcer. And the other one is Tyler Wells because we didn't expect anything from Tyler Wells and he has pitched far above expectation. There is one reliever on the team with an ERA below four and it's Cole Sulcer. So when you get to the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, keep in mind that you have one starting pitcher that you think can get into those innings and then everybody else, you've got to start looking to the bullpen in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning. You have one reliever with an ERA under four in Cole Sulcer. Say he pitches two days in a row. What would you like Brandon Hyde to do? His three most consistent relievers from 2020 have had bad seasons. Tanner Scott, bad season. Paul Fry, bad season. Cesar Valdez, 
Same story. None of those guys have been reliable. Tyler Wells is really the only other reliable bullpen arm outside of Cole Sulcer. So where would you like Brandon Hyde to go? The Now, I would be remiss if I didn't play devil's advocate here and say part of the reason you could make a case or at least bring up the argument that part of the reason that these guys have struggled out of the bullpen is because they're not put in a good enough situation by their manager. And that's the case that you can make against him. And it's again, it's in- incredibly difficult to determine the difference between a guy struggling because he's put in a bad situation and a guy struggling because he's just not very good. And a lot of those guys that you just mentioned don't have track records with other teams that you can point to and say, this, is good. this guy was an established reliever in Seattle, in Washington, and then they came to Baltimore and they're bad. Paul Fry and Tanner Scott, this is the only major league organization that they've been with. Cesar Valdez was in the Mexican League for a long time and came back at age 36. So, you know, the league made their statement on him. Uh, But you can understand, you can at least listen to the argument that Brandon Hyde has not put them in good enough situations. But I would tend to lean towards giving him the benefit of the doubt here and saying that the talent is just not there. It's just not there. And there's not proof that they're that these guys are talented enough to be high leverage relievers with other teams, with contending teams. Yeah, there there are really no veteran relievers that have been solid elsewhere right. for you to look at and say, they should be good in Baltimore, but for whatever reason, Brandon Hyde is mismanaging them or whatever. Brandon Hyde has a bunch of unproven relievers that we don't know if they are quality major league arms at this point because we've really only seen them in Baltimore. And like you said before, with some of the free agents, the league will tell you whether or not you are a quality player. So it remains to be seen if any of these guys go to other teams and succeed. But as of right now, they are not pitching well in Baltimore. Right. So we've made our case mostly for Brandon Hyde sticking around. Now, there have, it has not been... You have 200 loss seasons in your first three seasons. It has not been a perfect, smooth, seamless ride for Brandon Hyde. And the biggest argument, other than the bullpen management, which, again, we think is a toss-up, that you can make against Brandon Hyde is some of the regressions that we've seen, and especially with the pitching staff. I, I mean, in the lineup... Not really anybody that you can point to that was a young guy that looked promising and has taken steps back. Everybody has taken steps forward. Maybe Anthony Santander is the only name that I can think of, but he, he has had such a small sample size yes. of success that, you know. Right. It, it's not, I wouldn't blame anything on Brandon Hyde no. there. And uh, like we said on the last podcast, he's been playing through injury, and that's that's a, a separate case. Other than that, I mean, Mountcastle has taken a huge step up. Uh, Mullins obviously has taken a huge step up. So you're seeing guys, and you've seen guy, other guys in the lineup. Ryan McKenna is starting to swing the bat better and look like a better player. Uh, Ramon Arias, obviously, this year has taken a big step up. So you're seeing improvements. Austin Hayes, seeing improvements in the lineup. The pitching staff is a different story. Last year, in 2020, when Doug Brocale was your pitching coach, you had this, the 16th best ERA in baseball. Not great, but middle of the pack. This year, you have the worst pitching staff ERA in baseball. You don't have Doug Brocale anymore. You have Chris Holt, who is both the director of pitching in the organization and your pitching coach at the major league level. And not just overall staff-wise have you seen regression. You've seen regression from Dean Kramer. 
you've seen poor debuts, unfortunately, from Mike Bauman, from Zach Lowther, from Alexander Wells. You're seeing uh, guys that you were hoping would hit the ground running, not, and really stumble out of the gate. And how much of that is, again, on the talent level of these guys, and how much of that is the lack of development? And I think here, while in the previous case I gave Brandon Hyde the benefit of the doubt, here I think this is a clear area of concern and a clear area of need going forward because this is where the rebuild lays. It's not just on the superior talents of Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. It's also on the middling prospects being able to develop. And so far, they've developed in single A, they've developed in double A, they've gotten to triple A, and they've stumbled, and they've come to major... The uh, they've come to Baltimore and they have really not developed. Right, but the question again there is how much of that do you put on the shoulders of your manager Brandon Hyde versus your player development staff, your coaching staff, versus you know the guys in AAA where a lot of these prospects have seemed to stumble. The pitching staff at the major league level that is working with these young pitchers that are coming up. How much of that is Brandon Hyde's fault? How much of it is the coaches, the individual guys? Now, Hyde has say over his coaching staff. We don't know exactly how much sway he has in hiring these guys and how much of this is Mike Elias' decision. To me, I, I didn't really see too much logic in letting Doug Brocale go last year. And Chris Holt was already in the organization, so you essentially added a title for him. But to me... It would not be the worst thing in the world for you to bolster his pitching or his coaching staff in 2022. And I think that just having another voice in the room, you, you saw what they did by adding Freddie Gonzalez, a guy who had major league managerial experience elsewhere in baseball, be added to this coaching staff because you have such a young coaching staff. I mean, you don't have too many guys who have done this before on other teams. You don't have any many former managers. You know, the bench coach was a minor league catching coach and manager. So you don't have enough guys. And I saw comments coming through Facebook about, you know, make if, if you're replacing Hyde, make Buck, Buck Britton your next manager. If they're going to replace Hyde, it's, it's going to be an established major league manager, somebody who has experience. And Brandon Hyde is not expected to come into this job like he did in 2019 and bring a wealth of managerial experience. He was a bench coach in Chicago. But he, if he has a, an experienced coaching staff, he can rely on them a little bit more. So to me, if I'm Mike Elias in this baseball ops department, I'm looking at the coaching staff and saying, we can do more to help Brandon Hyde by giving him a more experienced pitching coach who has had success with other organizations. I don't know who that's going to be. I, you never know, you know, who's going to get fired in two weeks, what kind of coaching managerial turnover you're, ha you're going to have the day after the season ends, and in the weeks to follow, all kinds of managers will become available that you weren't expecting. So to me, I think this is a definite area where I would consider an upgrade in his coaching staff to give him as many horses as possible to run this race. Yeah, I agree. I, I tend to fall more in the camp of, like you mentioned before, the young hitters have been doing well, have been developing, like Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes. 
I tend to fall more in the camp of I don't necessarily give Brandon Hyde credit for those guys' development, for the hitters that have been playing well outside of Brandon Hyde giving them the opportunity to hit in the lineup consistently. I don't really give him a ton of credit for their development outside of the lineup decisions. That means I also don't give him a ton of the blame for these younger pitchers that have not been developing the way you want. So I agree. I think it's a a large portion of that blame. If you're going to look at what the younger pitchers have done or have not done, I think that falls on the coaching staff outside of Brandon Hyde. And the tough part is when Hyde got hired in 2019, a large thing in his favor was that he had worked in the minor league system of the Chicago Cubs and had had hands-on experience developing guys. Problem is when you get to be a major league manager, you get to do things here and there and help guys, but you have a ton of other responsibilities, right? including making the lineup every day, including all kinds of, there, there's just so much more pressure. You have all kinds of attention. You have all, you have media opportunities, availabilities before every game, after every game, you have to do appearances. It, it is a much larger project than being a bench coach. You know, Tim Cousins' job doesn't have the same kind of pressures, the same kind of, um, you know, demands that Brandon Hyde's job has, a lot of which doesn't have to do with baseball, unfortunately. That's just how it is. You know, he has to spend a lot of time off the field doing other stuff for the organization, and he doesn't have the time to be able to develop these guys hands-on. So while he can lend his voice here and there with specific things with guys, he's leaving it up to his coaching staff to do the bulk of the hands-on development. And that's where I think you can say... You know, Tim Cousins has done an okay job. Freddie Gonzalez, I'm sure Brandon Hyde would say he's benefited from having that experience. Don Long has done a good job, I think you can say, as hitting coach. But then you start to look at the pitching the pitching staff and you say, this is where you could add somebody. I agree. And we're getting a lot of Facebook comments and, and love for Buck Britton, which is justified. Buck Britton has done a fantastic job in the minor leagues, but it's also important to keep in mind that Buck Britton is a minor league manager in a rebuild so the rebuild where he is getting a ton of young talented prospects to work with in the minor leagues buck Britton and brandon hyde are in two very different situations brandon hyde does not have a lot of major league talent to work with buck Britton has a ton of minor league talent to work with so yes buck Britton has done a very good job But let's keep in mind that they are in two very different situations with the level of talent that they have at their respective levels. I love me some Buck Britton. I love me some... Oh, he's a fantastic manager. I love me some Kyle Moore, who's down in Aberdeen this year. Smart, young coaches who are doing a great job with these guys. The highest level Buck Britton has ever been at is double A. So he was never a, 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 you know, major league player. He was a... You know, his brother obviously was very successful, still is very successful. But you're going from, you're literally going from double A to the major leagues. Yeah, and and that's not to say that he can't get there in time. He's just got to, let's just pump the brakes a little bit. And all the the growing pains that we saw Brandon Hyde go through in 2019, little stuff, you know, making individual game decisions that are probably could be questionable. Uh, I'm sure Brandon Hyde looks back at his first season, 2019, and says, I learned a lot from that, but I made some mistakes. You would get all kinds of the same 
type of mistakes if you hired Buck Britton now. Absolutely. If you hired, hired Kyle Moore now. If, so you would have a ton of growing pains, and that's just not what you want to get now. You don't want to – that to me, that's taking steps backwards. And I, I think if you're going to replace Brandon Hyde uh, down the road, it's going to be with an established major league, maybe World Series winning, or a team – a guy manager who has brought a team to the playoffs – in the big leagues, as opposed to a minor league manager that you're promoting through your ranks. And right. that's not to say that Buck Britton won't get there. It's not to say Buck Britton isn't on a, a path, same with Kyle Moore, that is shooting up through the organization, because I think that he could get there one day. I think he could rise through the ranks very quickly, just not with this organization, not now. Right. Maybe you, maybe you make him down the line. from now. Maybe. Maybe, uh, maybe you add him to a, coaching, a major league coaching staff in a couple of years. Maybe you make him, you know your hitting coach and you have Justin Ramsey who's in double a who's doing a great job again handed some incredible talents he's been handed DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez but credit to Justin Ramsey for doing an outstanding job with that double a pitching staff maybe you make him a major league pitching coach in a year or two but to me experience is what this coaching staff needs not necessarily young guys who need experience managing because they have to learn along the way too um so those th- that's the case for bolstering Hyde's coaching staff. And then you look at whether he can stick with this team long term. I think you and I both agree if let's assume that the deals of the contract, the assumed deals of the contract are correct. 3-year deal with a 4th year option. You think the Orioles are picking that up? I think so. I think so too. You listen to what Mike Elias said, it sounds like he is satisfied with the job that they've done. He's not looking at the win-loss record this year. Uh, but going into 2022, if those are the reported deals, the reported deals of the contract are correct, he's now on an expiring deal. And whether you re-up him. So what do you have to see from him in 2022 in order to keep him? And to me, I think it comes down less about the win-loss record and more about the development of the young players but that being said, I think in 2022, the win-loss record matters more than it will have ever mattered in Brandon Hyde's tenure. I agree, but I think if you are going to, again, look at the win-loss record for 2022, I think this plays more into when we talk about the free agency for the Orioles in 2022, some potential moves that they might make. Because, like I said before, it's really difficult to evaluate Brandon Hyde when he doesn't have good major league players on the roster. There are some solid pieces. There are some foundational pieces that are on this roster right now, like Cedric Mullins. What a awesome surprise he was this year. That's not enough for me to say, okay, well, Brandon Hyde has a lot to work with. No, he's got an all-star caliber center fielder and then a lot of question marks. Yeah. So in 2022, if you are going to use that as the season to evaluate Brandon Hyde, I think it should be the case anyway that the Orioles need to start adding some fringe pieces on the margins to start becoming a bit more of a competitive team. You need to do that anyway. With the top prospects coming up, you need to fill the other question marks. So hopefully what I would like to see in 2022 out of Brandon Hyde is whether or not he can compete a bit more with some of those good veteran players that are not making a ton of money, but they're making Trey Mancini 
type of money. Yeah. Five to eight million dollars a year. Hopefully the Orioles bring some of those guys on. And Brandon Hyde has some more pieces to work with. And that's important not just for winning games, like you said, but it's also important for judging how Hyde is as a manager. If you give him more talent, is he going to do more with it? Or is he going to keep the team stagnant and stuck in 100 losses? To me, you can't lose 100 games next year. No. I don't think Brandon Hyde would survive a 100-loss season again. I don't know if he would survive a 90-loss season again. I, it's, it's tough to say because for the last three years, we have argued that the win-loss record doesn't matter. So if Mike Elias, again, is handing Brandon Hyde a 100-loss caliber roster and saying, go do something way better than that, how are we judging Brandon Hyde from that? To me, the internal improvements of the roster, you could make a case that they... The, the roster may be on paper. If you add no free agents, it would be a 100-loss roster probably next year. But the internal improvements should make it better. I mean, it you're should. going to see Adley Rutschman debut next year if, if he's healthy. I think you could see Grayson Rodriguez debut next year. Might even see D.L. Hall. You're going to see improvements from within the system. And guys are going to get better. So, to me, I think Michael Elias is looking a little bit closer at the win-loss record. Because it, it's not just numbers-wise. You know, it's not like specific 95, 91 losses. What's the difference? You know, it's also... How, if you are losing 100 games, that means a lot of stuff has gone wrong. Right. You know? So uh, that means that you have done something wrong in terms of the free agents that you brought in, in terms of the development of the talent. To me, the most, you know, win-loss record is going to matter more next year. Yeah, and that's one of the cases, again, that you can make against Brandon Hyde is that the record over the last three years has not improved. Yeah. Outside of 2020, when they were 25 and 35 in a shortened season, where they looked you know, better than people expected them to be, they're going to finish with a worse record this year, more than likely, than they finished in 2019 when they were 54 and 108. The team this year will most likely have a worse record than that. So you can make a case that the record after three years under Brandon Hyde should theoretically improve. But again, the counter-argument there is that the roster hasn't improved. Right. So if the roster does improve for next season that we are, you know, we are hoping it is going to, there will be some quality debuts and hopefully the Orioles will bring in at least some decent free agents, even if it's not big name guys, we need to see some improvement on that record. It can't be another 105 loss season. Yeah. And, and you, to me, you also just need to see improvements from your young guys. Right. Because that's what's most important. You know, Adley Rutschman is going to come up and Adley Rutschman is probably going to be success, a successful major league player regardless of who his manager is. You can make a case Grayson Rodriguez is probably going to be a successful major league player regardless of who his manager is. But the other guys, the Mike Baumans, the Zach Lathers, there is some fluctuation there and there is a range of outcomes. And you want to be able to see, to look at, at the young prospects that you have in your system who are not top 100 prospects and say, this guy has gotten better. This guy has bounced back and say, we have enough faith that this coaching staff is doing enough to develop these guys. Right. And, and the case, again, y you can make a separate argument as well that once the Orioles 
hit this kind of pinnacle of where they are looking at in the rebuild in 2023-2024, yes, you've mentioned the guys that are going to be good regardless of who their manager is. There's probably a case to be made that in 2023-2024, unfortunately for Brandon Hyde, you have a manager that has gotten you through the losing seasons and at that point do you need a manager that has a, a track record of winning seasons when you are hoping to push the team over the edge to make a playoff push right. when the rebuild is ready to go when the plan for Michael Elias is complete does that plan include getting a manager with a quality winning record track record that is not Brandon Hyde Unfortunately, I think there's a case to be made that that might be the plan. Right. So I'm looking at some Facebook comments, one coming from uh, Ben saying, it's a culture perspective. I don't think it's Hyde fault, Hyde's fault, but you need to switch from a culture of losing to one of winning, and it's hard to flip that switch with the, main, with the uh, same manager. And to that perspective, to that note, history is not on Brandon Hyde's side in this. When you look at managers that have been successful – not many of them, very few of them, have gone through the kind of losing that Brandon Hyde has gone through in his first three seasons of Baltimore. I looked at the last 20 managers who won World Series, so not the last 20 World Series, 20 different managers. Of those 20 guys, only three managers, Ned Yost, Bruce Bochy, and Jim Leland, had Records under 500 through their first three seasons with the team with which they won the World Series. So they might have had a sub-500 record with another organization through their first three seasons, but they didn't stick around with that team long enough because teams don't have the patience for that oftentimes. And, of course, a lot of those 20 managers won World Series in their first three seasons. Alex Cora, Davey Martinez to name a couple, but that also goes to show how impatient teams typically are with these managers. Right, and that's not just, you know, that's just below 500. That's, that's not yes. 100 lost seasons. Yeah, so the lowest win percentage of those 20 managers through the first three seasons combined is 439, and that was by Ned Yost. Right now, Brandon Hyde is sitting here with a 341 win percentage through his first three seasons. And the goal of this is to win a World Series. I know those are the, some of the best managers in baseball. You talk about the, the last 20 managers that won World Series, but you want Brandon Hyde to have that kind of upside where he could lead a team to a World Series. So no, no, really, oh, there's no recent history of a guy who has been here through s such incredible losing and made it through to the other side and made it to the pinnacle. None of those 20 managers lost 100 games in a season before winning the World Series with the same team. Hyde has done it twice now. That means none of those guys have lost 100 games in a season and then gone on to win a World Series with the same team. So if Brandon Hyde is does that, accomplishes that, he'll be the first one in at least the last 25 years to accomplish such a feat. That is an uphill battle. So it is going to be incredibly difficult for Hyde to pull this off. And I looked at not just the World Series winning managers, but I looked at the rebuilds because we've had now a sufficient sample size of teams that have gone through the kind of devastating rebuilds that we've seen the Orioles go through. It's, it's 
still mostly a recent trend, the kind of bottoming out that we've seen. And it has become especially popular over the past couple decades. So six organizations I think you could point to of the 2010s that have gone through these dramatic rebuilds. I looked at the Astros, which of course is Michael Elias' organization, so everything that he does, you can compare it to that. Kansas City Royals, the Chicago Cubs, another great example, as you know, Theo Epstein brought that team really from 100 lost seasons to the pinnacle. The Washington Nationals, and they were in the middle, that wasn't a conscious rebuild per se, they kind of had, you know, when they came to D.C., they were handed a pretty bad roster and had to go through that rebuild. San Diego Padres and the Atlanta Braves. Now, the Atlanta Braves and San Diego Padres haven't won a World Series. The first four teams have. But they're, they've mostly gotten through to the other side. We'll see about the Padres, but, you know, that's a, so far. They're on the right track. They're on the right track. So those are six rebuilds. The only manager to get through the rough patch and make it through to the other side to winning a World Series is, again, Ned Yost. He made it through three losing seasons before he got to the pinnacle of winning that World Series. And he made it through three losing seasons before the team started to win and had a record above 500. The Houston Astros had Bo Porter for two seasons before they had A.J. Hinch. Chicago Cubs had Dale Sweeham and Rick Renteria before they had Joe Madden. The Padres had Andy Green before they had Jace Tingler. Now they might have another manager next year. The Atlanta Braves had Freddie Gonzalez before they had Brian Snicker. And Washington had Manny Acta, Jim Riggleman, and Davey Johnson, Matt Williams, Dusty Baker. Those three guys won. So you had, you know, Acta and Riggleman as guys who were there through the losing seasons who did not make it to the winning side. So while Michael Elias projects faith in Brandon Hyde, and he's right to do that, and he has to do that, especially if they're picking up his fourth-year option going into next year, it's difficult for a manager incredibly difficult for a manager to be there and manage a team through 100 lost seasons over and over again and then stick around to be the manager that wins it all because teams get impatient teams want a new voice and unfortunately the manager is usually on the wrong end of he bears the brunt of the losing and then he doesn't even get to stick around for the winning and it's unfortunate but that's what history is telling us Right, and I, I know this isn't how Mike Elias or anybody making the decision is going to look at it, but just how unfortunate would it be for Brandon Hyde to have three or four years of being handed a bad roster and then just going, all right, thanks for getting us through the losing. See ya. Yeah, I, I know that's not how anybody is going to look at it, but Brandon Hyde has gotten you through really rough patches here and again, he's not, he just hasn't been able to make miracles out of a bad team here. And I'm not going to put a ton of blame on Brandon Hyde for that. And it would be really unfortunate to just say, all right, you don't have a chance with a decent roster. Thanks for getting us through the losing. Which is why it, it, you would need least to, to give him, need to at least give him a somewhat decent roster next right. year. Because you can't, if you were to fire him after the season, that's, Flat out not fair, you know, yeah. and I know life isn't fair, but that's just, it's just not. What what would you, you have do liked him to do differently? Right. Yeah, and then you just let him go. That would be very unfortunate. So you have to at least give him an opportunity with a somewhat better roster. And it's also brutal because you don't get to see, 
if you are handed a win-loss record like the one that Brandon Hyde has had, 341 through his first three seasons, how are you going to get another job managing? Right. And you could say, you know, part of that is their own fault because, they, you know, or would they get hired otherwise even if they didn't get this opportunity? But Dale Swiam, Bo Porter, Andy Green, Freddie Gonzalez, Manny Acta, Jim Riggleman, how many combined jobs after the losing teams did they get? Zilch. I don't know. Is my I'd guess. have to look that up. But really not many opportunities for these guys. They no. were they were placeholders. And that's unfortunate because how can a team and ownership of another organization look at Brandon if Brandon Hyde is relieved of his duties, look at his win-loss record and say, This is the guy that we want to lead us through whatever we have to lead us through. That's you right. know, how can we have faith that he's going to win games? Unless he wants to get hired to another really dramatic rebuild somewhere right. where some management is but saying, he, hey, you were pretty good at this. Even then, the the organi- the fans are going to roll their eyes and say, oh, God, look at that win-loss record. Right. This is what we're in for. Yeah. You want to inspire confidence in your fans and your players, and it's difficult to do that if you hire a manager who has a 341 win percentage. Right, and the point there being is that it would be really unfortunate for Brandon Hyde to you know, leave the Orioles after having three years of, of bad baseball teams. So the point being there, give Brandon Hyde a good roster. Right. So we can really see what Brandon Hyde is capable of doing. I don't know the specifics of those other rebuilds in terms of how much time those guys got with an actually solid roster there. But you would like to think that if Brandon Hyde has a somewhat better roster in 2022 than he had this year and wins more games, what would be the rationale for getting rid of Brandon Hyde at that point? Right. And the most brutal example when I look at a lot of those is the Cubs and Rick Rentery <laughs> because, and he had a same thing, similar thing happen with the Chicago White Sox recently as well, where he got one season with the Cubs, won a lot of games and Joe Madden became available and they said, we're getting Joe Madden. Sorry, Rick. Yeah. And, that you as a team, I get it. You have to yeah, it's you, Joe Madden. you have to go and get the best manager available, but it, it it's a especially harsh business. Now, again, this goes back to our point. If Brandon Hyde is relieved of his duties, again, we don't think it's going to be happening after this season, but after next year, it's going to be because the Orioles are targeting somebody else. Right. It's going to be because somebody became available, maybe that they didn't expect to become available, that they can go out and get. You know, what if... So you're saying it's not Buck Britton? Not Buck Britton. What if, you know, what if one of the... Somehow, you know, maybe the Dodgers fall flat and they fire Dave Roberts and, you know, Dave Roberts becomes available or Joe Madden leaves the Angels and Joe Madden becomes available. So it... it to me, it, it... If Hyde is gone, it's going to be because the Orioles have somebody else in mind. Right. It has to be somebody with a very established track record of winning baseball. Right. Because there is no other reason to get rid of Brandon Hyde in favor of some other manager that you don't really know what you're getting. Right. You have to get somebody who is established as a quality manager in the majors and you know can win you games. Right. And win you a World Series, hopefully. It's it's what the Tigers did with A.J. Hinch. You know, they said, we just want this guy and we're going to fire whoever we need to to get him. It's what the Phillies did with, you know, Joe Girardi said, this guy is a, a, a history of winning. He's got a World Series. We want this guy. So that, to me, is, is what uh, they would do. All right. We think he's going to be back next year. Yeah. 
All right, we've talked enough about Brandon Hyde. Do you think? I think so. All right, let's talk about Bowie real quick. Uh, Bowie, what a run. The Bay Sox went on to close the season. They won 12 of their last 14 regular season games, had a dramatic comeback in the eighth inning of Sunday's game where they against Altoona to put them in the postseason where Johnny Reiser came home on a mad dash as I think the ball was jarred loose by Zach Watson, who was coming home. He was out on a force play at home, but he jarred the ball loose. Johnny Reiser came around and scored from second. They tied the game at five. They get a two-run single from Cody Roberts in just a 17th game with Bowie. They take a 7-5 win. They win. They're the two-seed in the AA Northeast uh, Championship Series. Yeah. Exciting. If you're in the Bowie area, come watch some minor league playoff baseball. It's exciting. It's a really good team. There was a lot of good players on it. Yeah. they And this is a Bowie team that has gone through, like any minor league team, but especially this one, significant upheaval throughout the course of the season. This team started with Adley Rutschman. They no longer have him. They started with, uh, you know, they had Mike Bauman for a significant amount of time. Kyle Stowers. Kyle Stowers, uh, who didn't even start the season on the team. You know, he, he flew past them. Uh, and now they have a roster with guys that didn't start the season with the team, like Zach Watson, Andrew Dashbaugh, um, Grayson Rodriguez didn't start the season with the team. So it, it's a very different roster now than the one that you might have seen back in May if you went to any games then. But it is a thor- thoroughly exciting roster. Gunnar Henderson is now on this team. Great loaded team. Yeah, with a lot of the Orioles' top prospects in the system. So if yeah. you needed an excuse to go see a Bowie Bay Sox game, now is the time. It's the playoffs. You've got a lot of the Orioles' top prospects, and hopefully you'll see them in Orioles' playoff games in a few years. Yeah, game one, Gray Fenter gets the start. He was a Rule 5 pick, if you recall. It was in the Orioles' organization. Cubs took him in the Rule 5 draft. Didn't work out. They returned him. So he's getting the start. Has had an okay, not great season for Bowie. ERA over five. He gets the start in game one tonight. Grayson Rodriguez, bring out your gas cans. He's got the start in game two. So they have two games at home tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, day off on Thursday, then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's a best of five series, and they head to Akron to face the Rubber Ducks. Uh, and maybe they wrap that up on Friday. <laughs> the most a, intimidating team in minor league baseball. The name just strikes the fear within you, doesn't it? Yes. I'm scared already of yeah, the Rubber Ducks. I'm shivering. Yeah squeak the heebie-jeebies yeah so we will be there tonight stay tuned for our coverage uh on o's extra on mass and all access on all our platforms and of course you can catch the podcast on spotify soundcloud apple podcast google podcast watch it on facebook youtube and twitter thanks to bobby blanco for running the podcast today behind the scenes he's brendan mortensen at brendan morty on twitter i am paul mancano at paul mancano on twitter thanks so much for tuning in if you're in the area go see Bowie in these final two games and we'll catch you next time